My name is Christine McDaniel. For those that don't know me, I am actually located in Los Angeles, California. Welcome everybody from around the world, all different time zones, to the 2019 Global Prop Tech Forum. We just wanted to do something easy and virtual um, for this fast-growing space. We're so excited to be in. Um, this is, you know, we've got prop tech innovators, experts, leaders from around the world. Um, I'm actually the co-founder and CEO of Kindred.io, so K-N-D-R-D.io. It is the first platform for the co-living industry. And again, I know you guys are already in PropTech. You've probably heard the word co-living, especially recently, because they're getting billions of dollars injected into it. Um, and so that, that I've been in the industry for a while now as an operator and realized there wasn't a technology solution for the industry. So we're building the management software and also the platform to collect connect all the homes around the world. Um, so some quick housekeeping items, you guys. Um, please stay on mute until you're ready to ask, answer a question or ask a question, especially if you have background noise. That would be ideal. Also, ideally, we'd love to all be on video. You know, even if you're camera shy, you know, I think it feels more like a live event um, that way. I mean, that's what technology is for, right? So we feel like we're in person, but we're all around the world. Um, and technology is amazing in that sense, right? So, you know, honestly, the only, the only thing I would say about that is if you're moving around a lot, like some people are using a phone and they're walking around, um, then turn your video off because then it gets distracting. <laughs> but um, also we'll have plenty of time for questions. Um, so feel free to ask. There's an online chat feature you guys can use that you guys some are already using. Um, so feel free to just jump in there and you know even put, because I know we just have a few panelists that'll be doing all the talking, uh, but feel free if you're an attendee to put your information in the chat so people can see it. Um, and then we will answer all questions at the end. Lastly, we are recording this. I have two separate recordings going as a backup and we'll be sending it out at no charge. So if you guys can't take notes right now, don't worry. And um, just so you know, you guys, our panel is incredible. Um, and it's for, they're from all around the world, which is really cool. You know, we've got London. I know we've got um, also the UA, uh, UAE on. We've got Poland. We've got a couple of people from here in the States. Um, so I'll go ahead and read their bios quickly, and we'll just launch right into my questions. Um, we've, first, we've got Zach Shelby. He is based in uh, San Jose, California. He's a visionary entrepreneur, technology leader, angel investor, and thought leader in the Internet of Things space. Um, currently, he is a VP involved with IoT at Arm. And most importantly, and especially for this talk, he's angel investor in Kubi Casa, which is a leading property technology company for the real estate industry, uh, designers, insurance, and appraisals. Um, so you guys can check that out, qb.casa. And we've got, so we've got people, we've got beautiful names from around the world. So I will try my best on actually pronouncing all of them correctly. And you guys, panelists, feel free to correct me if I didn't get it right. Reginald Bean Amai is from Switzerland, and I probably butchered that. But he is the co-founder and chief innovation officer and head of miracles, which I do love that title, at myproperty.ch. Um, my property, it's a real estate platform designed for private owners and tenants looking to save time and market the property online. Um, you can post, manage your listings on multiple real estate listing sites at the same time. And then we've got Masaj Markowski. He is from Warsaw, Poland, and they also have offices located in Lisbon and Dublin. 
Um, his background spans six years in the workplace field with international experience in corporate workplace, change issues, advising major corporations. And he's the CEO of Space OS. Um, it's the technology layer for the built world and they provide tenant experiences for agile workspaces. Um, I loved, he just did a recent LinkedIn blog post that I absolutely loved called, I want a remote control for my office. <laughs> so you can check out his site at spacesos.io. Um, happy to have uh, Peter Borta on from London. Uh, he's the marketing manager at Spaceflow, which is a, you know, they provide space as a service and tenant experience. Um, it's a global community platform and community management that really helps uplift the experience for people in spaces and buildings. A beautiful website, by the way, if you guys want to check it out. They've got branches in London, New York, Munich, and Prague. They disrupt the whole experience in real estate on the commercial side. And then last but not least, we have Hutafia. Uh, Afana, and he's from the UAE, and you can definitely help me pronounce your name when we jump over to you. He is a highly acclaimed entrepreneur, business developer, and project manager. He possesses 14 years of experience in high tech and management consulting while directing new business development, technology project management, operations for valued clients um, across the real estate, government, and other sectors. He's the founder of Unit Beat, which is unitbeat.com. Okay, you guys, there are your bios. I definitely wanted to, you know, give a thanks and give, make sure you guys kind of get a feel for who we have on today that are, they're going to be answering these questions um, from all different perspectives. Some are in the res residential space, some commercial, um, some on the tech side. Uh, so we will launch right into it. So we'll start with the first question. Uh, let's see here. Um, tell us more. So let's actually jump into, we'll start with Hatafia, and you can help me pronounce your name for everybody listening first. I want you to explain more about your current venture um, and then, you know, where, you know, at what stage are you at and where do you see kind of prop tech just right as of a d today? Yeah. Okay. Um, good morning or good evening, everyone, based on where you are located. So my name is Hudayfa. Okay. And as um, Christine mentioned, I'm the founder of UnitBeat, which is uh, an, an AI-backed uh, uh, real estate platform that is uh, intended for uh, changing the rental experience for uh, property owners, tenants, and property managers altogether. We are focusing on enhancing the communication between all those parties and bridging the gap between the uh, owners and tenants. Um, the AI part is intended for um, optimizing the uh, requests, um, uh, workflows, mainly uh, maintenance, and also to empower the owners with insights that they need to uh, stay on top of their uh, real estate portfolio. So uh, that's uh, a brief about uh, UnitBeat. And regarding to uh, Christine's question, I would love to answer uh, about the PropTech uh, scene uh, in the Middle East context. So uh, here in the Middle East, uh, PropTech is more about, um, let's say, uh, we have like a few big players in the uh, listing domain, okay? That's where, um, most of the investments been for the last uh, few years and it's the market so far been led by um, 
few players. Um, the most prominent name is Property Finder. And um, we have also other players uh, in other segments of the market, mainly property management. So um, let's say that the UAE is one of the uh, most advanced countries when it comes to uh, property uh, prop tech because the real estate industry is the most mature one within the region and still the um, real estate industry in other parts of the Middle East uh, is still lagging behind. Um, the, the value chain is not complete. The uh, government is not doing very well in terms of regulation, uh, regulating this industry. And in the the government is putting uh, a lot of time and effort to regulate this industry, to invest and uh, attract um, investors from all around the world, especially for the uh, real estate market in Dubai. And that's why PropTech is uh, very appealing um, to um, to the clients. Um, who are based in the UAE and for and also for entrepreneurs who want to disrupt uh, this industry. So um, no, you that uh, you will find like um, many optic uh, startups working uh, from the UAE. So that's it in terms of let's say um, the optic scene um, in the Middle East. Terrific. No, and I actually appreciate that. That's a great way to answer the question is, you know, based on your region, because again, for, for all parts yeah. of the world, it's different, right? So it was yeah, very, definitely. yeah, it's different. for sure, for sure. So let's, let's jump over to Zach with the same question, just, you know, where you're at right now with your prop tech company, you know, how, how, where do you see things in its current space and where do you think, see them going? Thank you, Christine. Yeah, I, I have the privilege of working across um, a few different technology spaces. So I'll, I'll also put um, what we're doing with Kubikasa and indoor visualization and um, data gathering in, in the context with the bigger technology trends as well. Um, at Kubikasa, we started out in the Scandinavian market. So like Hanno, we're actually from Finland. Moi Hanno. Um, and boy. in Finland, we <laughs> hey, boy. in Finland we we started out solving the problem of hey, how do we get um, proper indoor visualization for real estate agents? So how do we make it easy for real estate agents to to show people what is the space? How big are the rooms? How do you move between them? And that's that's what we call floor plan in in most markets. And in the Scandinavian market, we, we started out with, with redraw services, just taking old floor plans and, and using a little bit of machine learning to, to generate um, floor plans of a very consistent, nice looking nature. And that's something we've done over the last five years in the Finnish market and have, have conquered that market. Nowadays, all real estate agents in Finland use floor plans. My wife is a great example of a consumer in the real estate industry will not look at a property or a rental without seeing the floor plan. There's no floor plan, she just ignores it. Next listing. So it's incredible how when something becomes the norm in a market, right, it becomes a must have. Now, these days we focus on the US market and the US market's really interesting because there 
are no floor plans. People take nice photos of, of buildings and they, they take videos and they try to do walkthroughs. But you don't really see what the, the layout or the dimensions of rooms are. And it's amazing how far technology and mm, approximate a model, some kind of a 3D indoor model for that space. What's happened now is that mobile phones are getting better and better. Um, where I um, am at ARM, we're seeing how incredible the mobile compute um, space is, is evolving and the introduction of cameras which have stereo with depth. So the iPhone 10 is a great example of that. And that camera allows us to do incredible things in augmented reality, but it's not the kind of augmented reality many of you think about. It's augmented reality for capturing spaces. And what that allows us to do now is avoid the use of expensive equipment. We can now scan spaces with video and turn those point clouds into um, indoor models without any um, expertise. That's something we can do with, with real estate agents, with photographers in the industry. Scan a space, get information about the number of rooms, the windows, the square footage, the dimensions, and even generate a floor plan out of that. So that's something we're bringing into the US market. That's our focus at, at Kubikasa. Um, I think more widely, we're gonna see some big changes um, in this industry from the introduction of, of mobile machine learning um, and visualization technologies that a lot of us don't realize how fast they're coming into the space, especially real estate agents and people that have been incumbents in the industry. So I'd love to talk more about that as we have the panel, thank you. Terrific. No, thank you, Zach. And then let's ask the same question. We'll jump over to Mr. Markowski, if you'd like to kind of, again, a little bit more about what you're currently working on and then, um, you know, how you see the space currently evolving in your city and in your, your region right now. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so I'm Maciej Markowski, CEO of SpaceOS. Uh, Matthew is basically Matthew. I know my, my parents didn't really consider my international endeavors. Uh, SpaceOS is a digital layer for workplaces, office buildings, co-workings, apart hotels. From user perspective, it's it's like a remote control for a space. So you can uh, you can book a meeting room, you can order some food, uh, pay for things uh, through integrations. You can open doors. Uh, you can find someone of particular skill. Uh, we are now in seven countries in terms of clients from New York to, to Tel Aviv and all through Europe. Um, I think it's a very exciting year. It's, what, what we do, it's, it's called tenant experience, I guess. It's, it's something that came out in the last quarter of, of last year. And I, I see a really big change in this, in this area. So. Uh, last uh, last year, I, I felt like outside of co-working industry, I was more preaching. I was saying, hey, your building could have this, and it's such a great experience for the tenants. Uh, suddenly, you as a landlord can understand your tenants because you gather data on what works, what doesn't, what they like, what they don't like. Uh, you can connect to them as opposed to just the head of FM. So you can send them push notifications, events, news, uh, what have you. and now it seems that they understand that that with uh, 
uh, with time, this became kind of obvious that this is a great way to market one's building. I mean, the uh, pet from Spaceflow is uh, in a sort of similar area. I guess they're more focused high level buildings. We go kind of deeper in, in different spaces. Uh, but yeah, I, I see the, the kind of the scene exploded and we get a lot, a lot of interest from clients that remember, oh, this guy has been speaking about it a year and a half at uh, some conference. As for Poland or Central Eastern Europe, there's a surprisingly high amount of PropTech startups. And I think, <laughs> I think the main reason for that is the, the old USSR uh, mathematics and physics education. So we have a lot of good tech talent and that makes it just so much easier to, to launch uh, tech companies. There's just above 20 of us now. So yeah, that's where we are. After the seed round before a series A. To, answer part of your other questions. Perfect. And actually, you just mentioned Peter. Let's jump right over to him if he wants to go next and just kind of what, what are you guys up to right now? And, you know, how is PropTech uh, evolving in your space right now in your region? Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, I think we're in a very similar sport as much is from uh, SpaceOS. And it's true that the Titan Experience platform really became a coined term and now it's really, you can see it's really booming. Uh, even JLL made a prediction uh, that this, this year would be actually banner year for uh, tenant experience platforms, although their opinion is a little bit biased since they invested in one of those tenant experience platforms. Uh, but I think uh, what, what's really interesting in this point is that all of the prop tech for me is actually changing from the perspective where before uh, it was solutions rather for the professionals in that real estate market. And there wasn't much, much of the technology that was focused on tenants, the, the, uh, the consumers actually of, of that real estate. And I think it's changing rapidly now and it's really good to see that. Uh, and I think one of those obstacles really for real estate is now how to use all of those data that that is provided uh, but for us it really doesn't come as as the technology only like uh, we always say that we're a tech platform but also we have that human touch which is provided by, by our uh, community management similar you have in in co-working so this these are the people usually on site that create interesting content, events, and engage with, uh, with occupants of those buildings. So, so for us, um, really it's regardless of asset type, it's, it's all about experience. So, so we focus on mostly on offices, that, that's true, but we also cover residential, co-working, co-living, student housing, really doesn't, doesn't matter. And uh, similar to Space OS, we also cover several countries, we actually opened, uh, last year we opened our branch in London and Munich, Germany. And this year we're uh, opening US market East Coast as well. Uh, so, so yeah, excited about this. Terrific. And then our fourth panelist, we will uh, have him answer the exact same question, Reginald. If you want to come on video, I know you're on earlier. I don't see you right now. Uh, and yeah, tell us more about what you're up to over there. And uh, where you see things going on your side of the world. Um, yep, yeah, thank you. Firstly, thank you for having me last minute, sort of. Um, 
in my side of the world, so I'm in Switzerland, so everyone has a different um, perspective or appreciation of how, you know, our economic situation is going. And a lot of people think we're very privileged, but it's actually a very intriguing market to do PropTech in, uh, mainly because most of the most of the population are either more tenants than homeowners. It's hard to access property because property is ridiculously expensive compared to, could be similar in many ways to the uh, EU, we were talking about the uh, uh, EAU, EAU uh, UAE, sorry. Uh, um, and here in PropTech, the, the concept is that since, you know, most people live in buildings, most people live in, um, um, you know, buildings that are owned by a very small percentage of the population or foreigners. PropTech is a very new concept. Most people are still thinking about digitalizing or dig digital transformation, whether they're actually understanding the, let's say, the PropTech sphere or the possibilities, aside maybe from professionals and not even professionals, I would say constructors, because professionals are still kind of trying to avoid digitalization. So it's, it's a very challenging environment because what we really aim to do uh, through my property, for example, was empowering tenants and homeowners, not to as a sign of defiance towards the proper the professionals, but more as a sign of saying they were thanks to the internet, you have the opportunity to market your listing or market your property by yourself. So we knew they were doing by, uh, it by themselves. There was a statistics that came out saying that 51% of the population was actually most of the transactions were done without the professionals. So it was kind of like a uh, it was meant as a solution because there's like real estate professionals in our board of understanding how do you cater to them and also how do you provide them with the experience that professionals offer you unbeknownst to your knowledge of their job that gives them the right to their, uh, to their commission. So to understand a little bit where we are, or I guess the market, Behind my property, there's a company called Innova Swiss PropTech, which aims to digitalize or help um, the Swiss real estate industry to basically transform itself by, in one side, providing them tools or solutions that they wouldn't have been able to develop, them, develop themselves. We have developers, designers, and everything. But also, I guess, kind of like walk them through the process. I think there's a transform, in, in any transformation, there's a change management process of saying, walk you through why it can not only just uh, make you money, but also like make you better the, the well, narrow the, the trust gap with your clients and consumers or uh, understand how you can work better and do other things and do more. So I took on the challenge with my business partners of literally like kind of like bringing water to the well, right? So in a way we're both doing ecosystem building and also innovation. So it's, it's, uh, it's very tricky, but the opportunity is that the notion, technology is extremely expensive here, not necessarily because of the cost of you know, the workforce, but the perception of technology makes it that there's a huge gap. And so the budgets are, are, are wide for nothing. Like you'd be surprised how much someone invests for a website for an agency, for example, like a real estate agency. So we need to teach them also, like empowering them also helps us really build the tools that can change the industry. So it's a very, the vision is quite wide, but it comes down to building products that can actually help further the agenda. Awesome, good stuff. And this is actually a good lead into my next question, you guys. Um, so, you know, let's say it is the year 2030. So I'm such a futurist, I love looking forward. 
Um, and that's only 11 years away, you guys, which isn't very far. <laughs> but in technology years, that could be like 100 years, right? Especially with the current acceleration on how technology is being used with property and real estate, which I love the, the disruption. I'm a huge fan. Um, so let's start with you, Hosafia. What would you, you know, where do you see, like if you fast forward to 2030, how do you see technology playing a role in real estate and property? Yeah, actually, that's a very good question. And especially with all this hype about um, artificial intelligence, I think we will reach a point where you will uh, go rent uh, your next home or your next apartment without having any kind of human interaction. Uh, to be honest, I think that the um, real estate industry, in terms of rental especially, okay, will... Um, in, in the next few years will be like um, in the same place where is banking right now. So uh, for example, there are so many banks that offers you very sophisticated um, digital solutions. Uh, so you, you don't need to go visit any kind of branch or do any kind of human interaction, just um, you, you will go uh, on some kind of mobile app or um, uh, website ask the kind of services you want to do do all those transactions without any kind of a human a human um, interface I think that's uh, will be the next thing for the real estate industry so um, I do believe that um, we will be in a position I want to uh, let's say uh, put my property uh, in the market so uh, I'll, I'll use the services of some kind of, let's say, real estate platform, and the, this platform will be powered by artificial intelligence um, based on all this data from the market, from the tenants, from the people who are in the industry. It will be able to list the unit in, in the market, uh, get the next uh, client or the next tenant um, for, the, for the property, have the uh, agreement, receive the payment, um, automate the whole process from uh, moving in the, the tenant to, to the property. Maybe it will be automatically um, integrated with, with a logistics company. So they will go pick up the stuff of the tenant and just put him, uh, put all those, um, let's say, furniture or anything in, in the unit. And from there, the, the daily operations will be completely automated. So I think that the, that's the kind of situation we will have. Like you will have your own properties on the autopilot and for investors, it will be more like um, uh, seeing some kind of catalog for all those units uh, that is available in the market um, and the um, investments will be compared for you. So you will just pick the most profitable uh, units and you will do everything without uh, the need of uh, having, let's say, uh, some kind of human interaction. So I think we are very close to that. It will be like very few years and based on the uh, region, okay, and based how much the real estate industry in terms of regulation. For example, in the UAE, especially in Dubai, the, the government is um, very, um, very active on updating the regulations, okay? So uh, whatever kind of regulations uh, that will make uh, the real estate transactions uh, seamless, they will do it. 
So it's not a big problem to um, adapt and change the status quo of the, of, the, of the industry right now. And this is very helpful for um, proptic uh, startups uh, to disrupt the, the industry. So I think this will be the kind of industry we will have like after um, maybe a few or up to 10 years. So it will be like an autonomous uh, industry. Everything is an autopilot and very seamless experience for property owners and tenants. And I do agree with the um, observation Peter made. Um, for uh, so far, the consumers, let's say the real estate investors or the property owners and the tenants was left behind. Most of the solutions that exist in the market was so much focused on real estate developers and property management companies, which needs, um, let's say, a high level of sophistication uh, to be used and consumed. And there is still a very few offering in the market for the end users, someone who wants to sell his uh, property or someone who is renting a new home. And I think that is the uh, gap uh, existing in the market. And to be honest, UnitBeat is all about bridging this gap. Hopefully we will be able uh, to empower tenants and um, property owners uh, to have uh, more engaging and um, more active uh, experience when it comes to uh, doing their business. Perfect, love it. And then so we'll, I know Zach's got a lot of a lot of insight in this world of AR, VR, AI. So, uh, so what do you see? 2030, it's not too far away, right? That can automate a lot of our today quite manual processes. Um, so we'll see that happen. At the same time, we're going to see a huge introduction of mobile technology. So this, this will absolutely happen in, in real estate. It will automate what real estate agents do. So today real estate agents um, have a huge amount of manual work they do when they go to list a property it's all manual it's taking photos it's entering information it's going and checking this paper that paper to put everything together so it's a it's a long expensive process which keeps commission fees very high i think mobile will completely change that my my vision is by 10 years from now every single real estate transaction will be fully automated with a piece of mobile equipment Take a video, a couple photos, generates everything, lists it automatically, gets checked on another mobile app by the consumer or the seller um, of the property. Great, looks great, go for it, right? Everything's automated. I think mobile would have a part in that, right? It's not, it's not just um, AI. At the same time though, I'd remind everyone that this isn't just about technology, right? This is about the technological, technological rate of change of society, right? Always the technology is capable of more than what we can deliver to people and they can accept. And I think that's a big change we're going to see now in the real estate industry. So recently the, the National Association of Realtors here in the U.S. published a study where they asked real estate agents about technology, right? Guess what the medium age of a real estate agent is in the U.S.? 54. That's the median age. There isn't even an age bracket below 34. There's no age bracket. There was no, not a single person that answered their technology survey be, be below the age of 34, right? So the, the age of real estate agents is really high. 
they're making use of technology, but I believe it's going to take kind of a generational change there in the industry. We're going to see millennials come in. We'll see Gen Z come into that industry. And that will change things more than technology, right? I'd claim the generational switch here will change things more radically. And the same goes on the consumer side. So what we were just talking about, you know, seamless renting of, of property. I think um, millennials and Gen Z will make huge changes in this. Not only co-living, I can see Christine smiling there. Not only co-living, but, um, but just the expectations of how easy this should be. Even the expectations of what home ownership is or should be. I think we'll see a lot of shared home ownership, a lot of um, shared rentals, um, shorter term rentals, flexible living for those generations that aren't interested in owning property. That will have a huge change in the, the entire real estate industry. So it's a combination of technology um, as well as, as societal changes we're going to need to see for prop tech to, to, to do all the things we wanted to do in 10 years. You have Mr. Markowski up next to answer this same question for where do you see us in the year 2030 with technology and property and how we access it? Uh, it's a, I mean, it's an exciting question, but a very, very tough one. Because I think beyond maybe two years, it, it's we don't know what we don't know. It's we tend to do decent predictions two years forward, but I mean, 11 years forward, it's, it's completely abstract. But I, but I can start talking about things that I think will start happening very, very soon. Uh, so I'll second what, what Zach said to, to a degree. I think the job of a real estate agent, well, is in danger. <laughs> I think that's... Uh, that, that will be tricky for, for a lot of these professionals. And I think they will need to just provide much more value. I see this happening in Poland already when they venture, particularly in commercial real estate, they venture quite deeply into legal advice, financial advice, and, and really, really try to add this additional value because they, they no longer have, they're no longer the only ones uh, with information. So I, we have ShareSpace, it's a company in Poland that is kind of booking.com for small and medium offices and co-working spaces. And they do very, very well. I know in Russia there is a company that does just online rentals of office space and they are like number four ahead of, I think, I think it's CBRE, Nightfriend, Colliers, and they're ahead of some of the other big guys. So th these are serious, serious changes uh, happening. I think blockchain, when, when the trust is kind of inserted by technology into transactions, that will uh, change that immensely. Uh, one area, I'm not, I'm not sure if we have a, on the panel uh, in, that, uh, in that space, but construction tech, I mean, since like 1500, we had maybe one evolution in how we create buildings. And it's time for another one, to, to be honest. There are a couple of interesting startups in, in Poland doing that, like Propergate, uh, really trying to, to get the supply of a, of a construction site improved. And I think there's plenty more to, to, be, to be done there. Uh, I mean, I, I cannot avoid talking about our field. So I think really the mobile phone, unless VR or augmented reality change that completely, I, I don't. I think we still have places where, uh, where we come together, we connect, we build trust, and we exchange uh, ideas. I mean, in eleven years, so much will change. It's it's surreal. I think 
AI data analytics, it will tell us so much, particularly things that, for instance, like very often landlords are clueless who's the next person to leave a building. They really are. And while even with like simple, just Excel data correlation, you're able to predict, okay, this tenant can leave because they, this is the, their rent versus the market average. This is how long they stayed in this building. If they're growing or contracting, there's an amazing space for predictive analytics to advise us on how to design spaces, how to manage spaces, and how to deal with our tenants. I mean, I think any of us could speak for two hours about this stuff to answer this question. So I'll, I'll zip it now and I'll pass to, uh, to Petr. Thank you, Mathieu. Uh, yeah, I think I would actually agree uh, with, it, uh, with this, on this with you. Uh, and I think actually it's interesting that a lot of those sensors are now being implemented uh, in the buildings to collect data about the air quality, temperature, and you're able, as a user, you're able to uh, to interact with that through different platforms. But I think if I would speak about like five-year future, more than uh, 11, because that's a, that's a really, like Christine said, a century in technology, I'd say. So I think mobile mobile phone will become the number one sensor to collect all of these data. Uh, and, and this is really important because it's, it would be much easier for all those occupants of those buildings to, to interact with that. Because when you have different 100 platforms, it's not easy uh, that much. But interestingly, I think, uh, you probably heard the news that Apple and Foxconn are, uh, uh, their prediction is that, that actually sales would become uh, either flat or they will drop down. And it might, uh, it might be in, in, let's say, 10 year uh, future that there will be much more actually, again, that it would, it would uh, revert, that we have much more technology that we would interact with, like, you, you're not able to see uh, different voice control speakers, uh, wearables, even this uh, VR thing. So it's really not easy to predict how this will affect real estate in, in uh, 2030. And uh, thank you for uh, hosting this, Christine. Uh, I would actually need to uh, sign off and leave now because I have another call, uh, but it was really, Good one, and um, I hope that there will be next round soon. Cannot hear you. <laughs> no, thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. Bye-bye, guys. Bye. And we've got next, same question. Um, we've got Reginald, you're up next on this question. This is, again, I'm such a futurist, so this is like an exciting question for me. I love your guys' answers. Uh, where do you see this in 2030? Uh, 2030, well, um, <laughs> firstly, I'd say, I think um, one thing we're not mentioning is that the, the consumers or the operators in the sense of the technology that's being built, I think they're more and more aware of how they can develop um, 
an idea centered around not just, so the ideas are not developed centered around them, but they can create a fashion, an idea around, molding an idea around technology, so associating technology. Where that becomes interesting, and I see it even developing in 11 years, is that, for example, a project can be a building or building a house or an apartment. At some point, I was talking, for example, to promoters that are curious about how they could include technology or sensors or IoT or, uh, you know, cert certain, um, certain type of hardware or software technologies in what they're doing. But the problem is there's not a dialogue right now that they can have with, the, with for example, the right engineer or with the right um, software developer to have, to understand each other's objectives. And it's the same thing for the tenants. If you really made like a, for example, a widespread um, survey on what they expected, they would tell you, but then to implement it, well, then there's always a gap because most, for example, real estate development companies where I'm from, they're not very digitally developed or they don't have a digital or let's say a technological uh, either background or department. So I see 10 years from now, what is also going to change, because I bounce back on what something Zach said that is a fact, realtors and real estate developers, promoters are mostly from another generation. And I think a lot of them, a lot of those businesses are either family owned or new generations coming in. And they will, they add into their style of management, their vision of how their business should be run. So they have a much more tech savvy, a tech focused uh, sense of their business without including the disruption notion of it. It's more of a natural involvement of mobile, for example, uh, they think mobility, they think data, uh, data mining, they, they, they think about it without knowing what it is. And I think as fast as technology evolves, most people now are starting to try to understand what is the tech element or what could be maybe much more, um, how can you induce much more technology in businesses that were, for the most part, quite analog, even though I feel like in most countries of the world, your question varies depending on where the person is, you know? So in a way, I'd feel like uh, houses, houses will be piloted from either phones, but also through, like some are already, like how you can run, for example, uh, with Google Home or with, um, uh, how's it called, Alexa from, from Amazon. People already use it to shut down the lights, turn off the sound system, home cinema. They're starting to have these reflexes because they've seen it in movies. And I think pop culture pushed that logic of saying, we expect it now. So ecosystems that are less developed are now looking to acquire technology that will be less expensive, like knowledge where people will understand that to really be a part of the discussion, then they will, for example, do their software engineering, like, for example, uh, get the degree or get the, cert like the certifications and then go work in real estate so that they can influence projects at their core instead of, for example, the biggest cost of IoT when it comes to real estate is when your house was not, like for example, the electric system was not, uh, what is it, KNX? Uh, so when it's not necessarily suited, for example, to have a lighter, like you have a switch that turns on this light, another one that switch the others, and it's breaking down the walls to change it that's expensive. It's not the work itself. The work in the system is actually as simple as downloading an app, but the people would then be like, wait, if I know the notion and I talk to my architect in the beginning, well then obviously 11 years from now, like people will have heard about it and the futuristic things that we only expect from Hollywood will be seen now. They'll be seen in new development plans and people like, you know, the people who are inheriting the money for the people who have the funds to build those houses. All of a sudden they're like, you know what? I want to give like a full mobile experience to what I'm doing. So, I also feel that one thing that I expect from 11 years from now is the infrastructures. Because I think PropTech is generally associated to real estate without people knowing how 
wide it is. I mean, there's a crowdfunding aspect, there's an IoT aspect, there's a reg tech aspect. There's so many different aspects that need to get on board. I think some entities should lead the discussion. It shouldn't be tech entities in a way. Somehow the realtors need to also pivot and understand that the same way banking and insurance and you know, biotech got the message, that they need to be involved in the thinking and rationale, building use cases, because they have the infrastructure. They literally own the infrastructure. So it's facilitating with, you know, through open innovation. I see that it would be easier for them to do it, to say, you know what, take this building, do whatever, because they do have the funds for it. So I see it as more as maybe like a push that comes from the consumers, but then that translated to new opportunities. Perfect. Yeah. And you're, you listed all the dated industries, you're right. Real estate, insurance. It's like, I think they're not agile enough to move fast enough to keep mm -hmm. up with this technology. Right. And so yeah. it's been super interesting to watch. Um, so my, I'm watching the clocks. So we got one question left, you guys. Um, and especially, you know, I've, I've been to Dubai. I love that city. Um, and so, you know, you're up next with this question. Uh, what is the biggest challenge, um, hurdle, limitation to prop tech growth in your region right now? So this question for me, Christine? Yes, yes, yes. You're in yes. Dubai. Are you, you're, in, you're actually in Dubai, correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay, that's like that. So, um, I think the uh, biggest uh, challenge so far is the lack of data. Okay. So um, while we are moving towards uh, more sophisticated uh, real estate operations, definitely the um, people who own the data will have uh, the upper hand in this market. That's part of it. The uh, second problem is the uh, nature of the market in terms of regulations and maturity. So in the Middle East, the um, investing real estate is very uh, common culture and you will find like people from um, every country has uh, this uh, ability and um, they want to invest uh, in lands and um, real estate units, but the industry is not mature, okay? They, they does not have like the full value chain of the industry. And depending on the country, this um, maturity is uh, varying, okay? So this is one of the challenges. And as you can imagine, the maturity is not about uh, the industry itself, if you can't relate to the regulations also. So we still have like some governments who didn't invest in any kind of upgrading or changing the, the real estate um, regulations. So for example, from my home country in Palestine, maybe the, the real estate law and the um, rent, rentals law, it's back to 1965. Okay, so that was like uh, 50 years uh, old. So, um, this is one of the uh, biggest challenges. Um, uh, all, also, there is another aspect that is related to uh, the real estate industry, which is how much the financial industry uh, is mature in terms of um, electronic transactions. So uh, definitely you will not see a lot of advancement in the PropTech uh, domain if you have like a very uh, old fashioned banking and financial sector. So if there is no um, 
let's say, um, digitized uh, financials ecosystem, uh, RobTech will not be uh, so much uh, able to uh, be developed and disrupted, okay? Because if you want to automate everything and put the and empower tenants and landlords, there is a certain point where you need to have like um, the backbone of uh, automatic and electronized uh, financial transactions. And if the banking industry is still lagging behind, the PropTech will not be able to have the power to move forward, you know? So I think all in all, this is uh, the kind of challenges we have. And just to wrap it up, the lack of data, everything is paper-based uh, in certain countries and we can't transform this data into useful insights or um, uh, let's say uh, data sets to be utilized in uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning or whatever. And the second problem is the maturity of the industry uh, in terms of practice on the ground and the regulations. And the last one is the uh, financial ecosystem, which is like uh, very important to support the prop tech industry. So that's for me right now. Perfect. And I saw Zach shaking his head in agreement when we talk about the banking system being so correlated with real estate, and they need to kind of keep up. So, uh, so again, Zach, what are some of these big challenges you already see in this space? Well, what I think is holding the industry back more than anything in the U.S., I can talk more about the U.S. market, is that nobody's incentivized to change. Right. There is a fee structure in place for how, and I'll talk about retail real estate to begin with. It's a fee structure in place, right? So you're incentivized to do um, selling of property in the old fashioned way. There are referral systems in place that are all based on the commission fees. So what's happened is that as property tech companies have come in this space and tried to disrupt it with new um, more efficient services, the kind of automated AI that we were talking about earlier, um, completely digital transactions. It, it could make a real estate transaction um, really inexpensive, right? Very, very efficient, you know, better for the consumer, better for the seller. But what happened is they hit a wall of resistance because real estate agents, which still need to be part of this process. We have to remember, especially with big transaction, there is, there is a, a need for humans in the loop, right? not only because of the transaction itself, but advice, right? When's the right time to sell? What can we get for this property? How do we sell it right? There's all these human things that I don't think will go away. But what happened is that a lot of the prop tech companies ran against this wall of resistance to change due to the fee structure, had problems making the kinds of money they wanted and immediately went to a revenue share in the fee structure. Unbeknown to most people, a lot of the prop tech companies in the U.S. basically survive off commission fee referral um, revenue shares. So the prop tech companies are making money off the old-fashioned commission structure, which means that you're not going to see a lot of change until we can go beyond that old-fashioned commission structure and really change the way that fundamentally the way that money flows in real estate um, to be more friendly for property technology to improve the process. So this is something a lot of project founders are frustrated with at the moment in the US. Um, so that's, that's one aspect to kind of prevention for change. 
the other aspect, I think that we need to work more with the real estate professionals in the industry. So I think a lot of times we as technology founders and, and people, right, we think of it like, oh, which, this is a big disruption, right? So Reginald had a had a point, right, which I think was really good, that we don't always have to disrupt things, right? We can work with people to bring them along on the journey. I think that's very true for real estate. Um, we've got a, a set of older um, real estate agents in the industry. We don't see a lot of interest from younger people to get involved. There are some younger agents coming in, but um, it's not really replacing outgoing agents. I think for a long time, however, those agents will be involved in this process and will be very key. So how do we create technology that makes their job easier rather than doing what a lot of the property technology portals have done and try to just completely go around those people to make them irrelevant? And when you do that, right, that's a threat and people will, will push back and the industry will push back. So how do we make the jobs of the real estate professionals easier, better, right? How do we make them more productive? Um, give them more information, right? And the same with the consumer. So I think if we take that attitude, we'll, we'll get around some of the pushback we see with the, with the real estate industry. There's a couple of factors that are, that are affecting things in the U.S. at the moment. We probably see that in other markets as well. Great, great answer. answer. So we've got Mr. Markowski up next to answer this question. You know, what do you feel like is the biggest challenge, hurdle, limitation, you know, to PropTech's growth right now, in your opinion? <laughs> Um, I well, I really agree with with Zach that it's if you help rather than fight the industry, then it's a much easier uh, path. I, I fully agree. I think the biggest challenge that I see is probably well, maybe it's going into too much detail, but it's 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 a mindset in a way. I think. All, all the startups that, that we have here on, on this panel, on this call, uh, we developed a solution that, that provides answers to, to some very real problems. And uh, definitely in our case, we see that very often the, the early adopters out there, like the, the early majority, they, they're amazing, they want to do it, but they have an appetite for this gigantic solution that suddenly in one swipe solves all the problems and i think it's a, it's a bit dangerous it's a little bit like trying to force some startups to do uh oracle or ibm type of uh, custom work and i think i think it causes problems and i think there's too much and the second thing that i see is a lot of these companies actually try to do these things themselves which is fine <laughs> But they don't, they tend not to do that well. And then they probably go back to us maybe eight months later saying, well, actually, maybe we are not a tech company. And I think this is generally a big problem with, uh, with adoption of, of, uh, of new things. This is not just PropTech, just in general. Uh, that is very hard to kind of make that jump from the tech enthusiast that will just take anything to people who are like, okay, I'll use this tech and this tech and this tech and together I'll, I'll have a pilot, I'll have an experiment, well, not an experiment, but like uh, I'll learn and then I'll know what to introduce. And then the people who immediately want like this entire solution. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that just to answer your question exactly, to answer your question, that, that'd be my answer. That is the biggest struggle that I see. But we need to really convince people that that it's really smart to pilot something and learn and, and do 
incrementally to, to this big, amazing solution, rather than try to solve everything at once. Because I don't think, yes, of course, there are conservative people, there are the ones who think, yeah, we'll never use tech, but they're always there. So I think the, the big challenge, the first big challenge is actually trying to, 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 to model the things, the people who want to adopt it, to manage their expectations, to show them how their problem, problems can be solved. And, and kind of take them on that path of innovation because in, in real estate, and, and I'm not saying it in a, in a bad way, this is an industry with a lot of specialists where the knowledge didn't change that much over the years. So there are, that's why there is a reason why the average agent is 50. He has high level of social intelligence by that time. He knows the market very well. He understands the trends because it takes time to get very good in this. But we we need some willingness to uh, to to learn in this also. No, that's those are that's those are such great comments. And you know, I always say, as much as I love 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 technology and the efficiencies it's creating, you know, but you know, there's always that saying: Are the bots going to take over, right, o above and beyond humans, and and just take our, over everything? I truly think that humans and you know <laughs> the uh, the technology can work together, right? Um, and just make such amazing experience and create a lot of efficiencies. And you're right, you know, it's too bad some people are afraid of that. I feel like the humans and the bots can work together, essentially. So Reginald, you've got it. You got the question. You know it. Uh, how do you feel? You know, what are some current challenges, limitations you see? I think my biggest challenge is, um, is linked to, on one side, I want to say understanding like grasping technology and like the current, you know, the current state of, of, of where we've, of evolution that we've reached, that we reached like as a society. And, and, you know, there's so many different references. Banking is, is going, for example, in Switzerland, it's going to light speed. Like we've completely embraced blockchain. We're completely embracing AI as concepts because we do a lot of research. And so people feel like it's super advanced. But then there's a notion of, real estate still remains like probably to me, like in the internet and like the, the app sphere and like the, the entire, the entire digital, like that's sphere that we, that we manage and we contribute to at building startups. It, it's counterpart is the real estate business as in its buildings. It's like streets, it's uh, energy, it's lighting systems. The same way we have the same organization uh, in, in, on the web, because in the end website and apps and communities are basically the same, right? But as clear as it can be for me or for anyone in PropTech or anyone building a PropTech solution, I feel like, for example, the general public does not have that understanding of it. And so, for example, if I take it on different, like, on different levels, if you take the professionals, we basically, so aside from my property, like we built this structure, which is essentially, a, we could call it venture builder innovation lab. It really depends where you position yourself. Either we build something that is meant to have a business model. So that's going to create revenue for whoever asked us to do it as an R&D project, or either we build an innovation that makes things go better, right? But for example, the only reason we are able to do that and be credible for it is because the biggest hack that I felt I found in my vision was to include uh, real estate professionals, like high level real estate executives in my governance, in my board, so that the community would kind of like basically it gives you instant credibility not of what you're going to build because they have no grasp of that it's basically of your understanding of their problem or of their business even though i don't care about the business in a way i care about the the digital implications of whatever they want to build or we need to build for them so 
For example, I know we have to do a lot of awareness and now we're doing more public speaking because I do that on the side, but to like kind of like help them see the scope, the wider scope of not just why to innovate, because some people are still questioning why to innovate when you're already making money, when really you can innovate because you don't see that you're eroding trust at the, at the cost of profit, for example. But then there's another problem, is that another stakeholder from the general public is the public itself. Some, they love technology. They love Airbnb because it was cheaper housing, right? They love booking because it was cheaper hotels. But when it comes down to their behaviors, there's nothing harder than to change someone's behavior. And if I take, for example, the My Property tool that is destined for the, like, the B2C solution, our problem is not making a solution that works. It was to like, basically acquire the client at the specific moment he needs us. So as in, not at that moment where he knows, for example, he needs to um, terminate his lease. It's at the moment he, he ponders all the opportunities of how to go about it. And then we made the perfect price, the perfect solution with everything he will end up doing. But if at that moment we're in competition with portals, here building managers are very influent, there's companies that help you uh, hunt for an apartment. So if you don't catch that time frame at the right moment, you spend a lot of money just creating awareness on the fact that there's a solution that could at one point in time help them. So my challenge is that you realize that it's not like Snapchat. It's not like something that becomes addictive by its content you have, you're in behavior, like you're really in people's minds to get them to shift a little bit, which can make a huge difference for like the entire ecosystem. So for me, that's the trickery is for, it's my own board to explain to them that you have to invest in awareness. You have to be strong in, what's the point of being known as a builder? Because when they want to build, well, they need to think about you. And finally, I think my challenge locally, I think is that, most developers, they think about the fact that prop tech is not necessarily as sexy as fintech, for example. Some developers, they're more focused on something that is you know, much more technologically um, challenging. And to be honest, the power of real estate is search. So, I mean, if you're not obsessed by searching something on the internet, matching two people together, most developers go into much more you know, deep tech, like I guess let's say AI, blockchain-related developing. Development. So when you try to seduce them with a vision, I guess I have trouble finding someone who's also interested in real estate without feeling like it's the equivalent of working in luxury. But I guess I go, it's simple things for narrow-minded people when really you're tackling urbanism, you're tackling cities, like smart cities, that's in pop tech. But most people, like, it's not, I guess, through pop culture, like the entrepreneurship world, it's not as um, mainstream. I would say for now, mostly because the biggest actors are either doing it on their own, on their sides, with their own money, or they're not necessarily advocating, advocating for it because it plays against their permission system. So I guess it's a bit of managing expectations and driving the vision. That's the biggest challenge. That is a perfect place, Reginald, to, to, to launch into the Q&A. If anybody, I know you guys covered so much and it was nice because it was, you know, it's kind of like this 30,000, you know, view, foot view of down. And then we dug in deep on some stuff. But if anybody has a very specific question, um, especially if it's for one of the panelists directly, feel free to unmute or come off video. You can ask the question directly. You can ask it in the chat um, if that's easier for you. Um, but we'll just launch into any Q&A and obviously we can, you guys can connect with the, these amazing individuals and panelists on LinkedIn um, after our, uh, this event here. But 
yeah, let's go ahead with the uh, first question. You can ask anybody specifically, or you can ask the whole group of panelists. Um, I just uh, published an article on some of the problems around data accessibility and the lack of transparency focused mostly on the U.S. commercial markets. Um, I know that there's significantly more transparency today in the residential markets in the U.S., but not so much in the commercial markets. And one of the things that I was noticing in the research that I was doing was that um, like, I, I don't remember, I'm sorry, who mentioned it, the, the fact that there's not really good incentives for companies to share information. So, um, Zach, okay, thanks. Um, so I'm wondering kind of where you guys are in your thinking about data access, especially in the commercial space, everything from what's going on in the building infrastructure all the way up to lease performance and investor communications. Um, everything's in different platforms, the data's in different formats, there's not a lot of sharing around the data. So even in one building, an owner doesn't necessarily have a complete view of what's going on. So I'll leave it there. You guys probably understand where I'm going with that question. Yeah, I can give you an analogy of what we see happening in, um, in the US real estate retail space, um, because I think there's gonna be analogies to what will happen in, in the commercial space. So of course, in the retail space, this all goes through MLSs, which are this mysterious clearinghouse of information, right, about listings and, and through that about, about property. And that's helped that RESO has started to bring standards into the space. So we do have some standards that at least homogenize some of the fields between MLSs. But really, in practice, we have hundreds of different versions of the, the listing information um, that these MLSs kind of share, but they're not all compatible. So one thing I do see happening is that we will we'll see kind of premium listing standards come where the industry starts to converge on, hey, what are the things you've got to have, the information you need to have to make real estate um, in the retail space work? And I think the portals are pushing that quite heavily with what they need to have that consumer experience. Um, so we see some things happening there, but, but it is a mess, right? There's a lot of missing information. Information is not very standardized between MLSs, but at least they're trying. Now in the commercial space, you might see something more disruptive because you don't have that same kind of MLS structure. You don't have a clearinghouse for the data that I'm aware of. So what we may see is that the, um, the prop tech players are gonna start collecting this information and sharing it. So we already see that with the Zillow type portals in the, um, in the retail sector where they are sharing information that they've gathered from both consumers and, um, and the real estate industry in order to provide that, that set of information now. Could we see something like that for investors in commercial real estate? I'm sure we could, but it's a, it's a similar problem. One of my concerns is that it's very siloed and everyone wants to own the data. And um, I compared it to the capital markets in the paper. Yep, that sounds like of big, big portals and, and co -stars. siloed players. So. <laughs> um, if, I, if I can, there's an aspect is that, that I see, for example, um, where I live, uh, the state is very involved in trying to promote 
an open data approach, just in general for people to understand that they can access various data. For example, if you take the land or if you take ownership, they make it accessible even to product developers to even to come up with ideas that helps them correlate whatever data they acquire with what you're building on so that you can have a better, um, a better understanding of, of the decision you're about to make. And I think uh, whether it's commercial or residential, the thing I see is that firstly, just two things. One is people are starting to understand the logic of, you know, acquiring data and, and retaining it based on how they want now data to communicate with other sets of information. So you want this platform to communicate with that one or do you want to cross it over with this other information? Well, then this is where the notion of transparency becomes important. It's not just to acquire it, but it's also to benefit from it. So I think there is this notion of lack of understanding through the new laws with GDPR in Europe and all these things that people have a misguided understanding of transparency, which I feel like blockchain is doing a favor, but for the wrong reasons. Because most commercial companies looking at blockchain are looking at private ledgers. They're starting to understand that they need to, like in my, con like in my country where most people are not transparent, they realize that they make better decisions by knowing what the market is doing. For example, MLS listings, I mean, MLS sites do not exist in Switzerland. They could exist for commercial purposes because they're starting to say, we want to make sounder decisions. Why? Because, for example, the commercial um, infrastructures are mostly bought by funds. So it's a much higher level. It's like, it's, it's, it's much more complex. But then bigger, smaller or bigger promoters are saying, well, I still need to make educated decisions people who want transparency are the ones who are trying to do a transaction and need that transparency in order to make decisions about their transaction. But as soon as the competition comes in and wants similar information, then they don't want the transparency. Yeah, absolutely. It's contextual. <laughs> it's fine. And I get that, but I've never seen it as literal as in the real estate business and like in general, people saying, oh, I want to win. They're like, well, what do you want to win? As in, Data is, is above all, like one of the biggest tools we're, we're working on is, is the first tool I created PropTech was basically, you need to know that, imagine, every transaction you make in the state of Geneva, whether it's, it's uh, no matter if it's on market, offline, it doesn't matter. At the end, it is publicly listed by the state of Geneva on the website. So you have access to this data. It is, no matter how much you hide it, at the end of it, you can go on that website and every two weeks, they upload all the transactions that were made whether it's a donation, whether it's a sale, whether it's inheritance. We built our own tool. Well, then we can use it as a market study tool because whenever we are in a specific region, then we have the information. We could cross it with a map of saying what happened within that region, albeit even within that building. So then if you look at it from this perspective, all of a sudden open data is wonderful because the state even says, if you want to use it for commercial use, we can make a partnership where you just have to state where the data is from. So they know it's useful, but somehow, depending on how, how comfortable you are with you know, data management and all those things, well, you don't even think about these ideas, but it's already possible and we're already doing it. Perfect, any other questions, comments on that point or a new question? Yeah, actually I want just to, um agree with the original. Um, I, I do believe that um, the open data is not about uh, being enforced by the government or um, anyone else in the industry. It's um, mindset 
So once we reach a point where everyone is comfortable to push all the data he has to the public, um, they, they, they reach like the belief that if, if we do that, being transparent, we will, everyone will mutually benefit from uh, that state of mind. I think um, things will be uh, moved towards the right direction. So far here in the UAE, Dubai was one of the uh, first governments to push the open data um, in the private and governmental sector. They have like a great initiative called Dubai Data. Uh, they started by opening data sets from different um, governmental entities and they also works closely with uh, partnerships with the private sector to collect and publish data. They are still like in the, very, in the very early stages, but the importance of such kind of initiative is that they are creating the awareness about how it's um, good or positive for the uh, different players in the real estate industry and other industries to be transparent and open their um, data sets as a step towards becoming like a smart community or a smart city or uh, to move towards uh, the advancement of the whole community altogether. So I think we need to reach that um, mentality uh, to be to do believe in the transparency and um, to change the mindset of the people towards that topic. Okay, because so far uh, people are so much defensive and they are closing up their data because they do believe it's a privilege to have this data and um, it needs a lot of awareness. Okay. Um, so that's it. Love it. So we got time for one more question. If there are any, just chime on in. And Candace, thank you for that amazing question and thank you for sharing that article too. So we'll definitely take a look that she put in the chat. Yeah, I'd welcome anybody's comments on that article. I promised our very esteemed panelists that are very busy uh, that we would only go 90 minutes and we're right almost there. So we will go ahead and wrap up out. Actually, I do a weekly show called The Co-Living Code. So this will be on there tomorrow. Um, and that, that show is specifically for the co-living industry, obviously, which is such a tiny niche of prop tech, right? So it's a really cool to kind of broaden our horizons and talk about all the property tech versus zooming in and just strictly me interviewing people directly in the co-living space. These are operators from around the world. Um, we do talk about technology also and, and how shared housing in urban cities uh, was probably gonna be the, the way of the future is what we definitely know. Um, I will actually be living in Europe, so I'm so excited. Then, I, then I'll be able to pronounce these, these beautiful European names <laughs> a lot easier. Um, I moved there March 1st. We're in an accelerator program my company got into. Um, one of the top ones in the world. Uh, so I will be living in Amsterdam March, April, May. Um, so please, I'll, I will definitely come visit some of you guys that are close by on the weekends. And I'm excited Congrats. about that. Yes, thank you, thank you. And, and that, that was one of my, so we can't announce the, the official program until March 4th, um, but one of my questions is actually the program we're working on. We're actually specifically working, it's 10 companies from around the world working on what is, um, what is real estate technology going to look like in the year 2030? You know, we get to work on that for three months with these amazing 
amazing companies from around the world and we're so excited. Um, so again, you guys feel free to reach out to me anytime on LinkedIn. I'm on there every day. Most of you guys already know that. And so uh, we will conclude and the recording will be sent to all of you. And again, thank you so much for your time. This was so much fun. No problem. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure to meet you. you guys. Thanks, Christine. Bye.